Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Lineup with Dave Prodan, presented by Michelob Ultra Pure Gold. I'm Dave Prodan, and this is episode 32. Our guest today is someone who hails from one of the most established and revered surfing families in the world, whose own trajectory from the reef breaks of Honolulu to the top of the world stage has been unique, stylish, bold, and far from over. A two-time world longboard champion, a globally recognized ambassador of Aloha, and someone whose empowered sense of self has driven her to shine, whether she's supporting her brothers in a CT locker room, nailing cover shots in the South Pacific, or designing fashion lines with some of the most influential people on the planet. Please enjoy the lineup's low tide conversation with Hawaii's Kalia Moniz. The good old clap, take one. That's right. How many of you knew what you wanted to be when you were seven years old? I did, I wanted to be a world champion. Hey, is there honesty involved in this podcast? Can we be honest? We can shut your fucking lips. And then I'll just say, put them up once, let's go. He's like, you look too pretty on the wave. Get ugly. We can talk about DMT if you want. I thought you were boxing. All right, Kalia Moniz joining the lineup at Low Tide. Thank you so much. Um, surreal times. How are you doing today? Where are you today? And who are you with? I am at home in Honolulu, Hawaii, with my little puppy. She's two months and she's the best dog ever. I'm not really a dog person, but I'm pregnant. And for Father's Day, I wanted to give my husband, he's been asking for a dog for like a year. And we finally got a house where we have like this huge yard. So I was like, I want to get him a dog. He wanted to get a dog that was like a little more like hyper. So I decided I'm going to surprise him with a gift, which is a puppy. That's a really cute puppy. That's a dog that I want, (laughs) which I did. So she's my little baby. She's our little um, child tester bunny. I encourage any young couples who are trying to, or planning to have kids to get a puppy first because it's a small little um, view into what your reality is going to look like. Like I'm up at 6 a.m. every morning now. I'm not a morning person. But yeah, I'm home. I'm with my dog. I'm pregnant. And it's summer in Hawaii. So life is freaking fantastic. And it's not that crowded. Well, it's good you got your firstborn out of the way with the puppy, but that's huge news. Congratulations on the pregnancy. You. you know, you and I, we exchanged text messages a while back about doing the podcast. We both yeah. agreed that it was a great idea. Um, you disappeared and got back to your real life, I hope. And then you make this major <laughs> announcement and then you hit me up, which isn't generally how it works, but we're very, very appreciative. So, so that's big, big news. I'll bet you and your husband must be really excited. Yeah, we're excited. We've kind of kept it... Um, a little private for a minute just because with everything going on in the world i i just wanted to keep it to ourselves and just amongst our family and close friends but it's really fun to be able to talk about it now and share because i'm super open like on instagram on my social media platforms about my personal life my family like what i do on a daily basis so i felt like i was lying to a lot of people because i was so sick for two months And I was like going through all these things. I was like emotional. And I was like, I feel like I'm lying to the world. (laughs) So it's actually nice to like be honest and have shared the news. And we're really excited. And um, yeah, it's a huge deal. I've been I've been wanting to be a mom for a while. So I'm super excited. 
Well, you mentioned there's a lot going on in the world. How long have you guys been holed up in Hawaii, like during the pandemic and and a lot of the other things that have happened, you know, the the very, very long overdue focus on on race relations and and everything. How long have you guys been holed up in Hawaii for this time? Um, So I went to Noosa for the Noosa, the WSL event, the first Longboard stop of this year in February. And I came back at the end of February, um, the last week of February, and I've been home since I haven't left. This is the longest I've been home since I was in high school. I was working the same thing out because I, I went away to college and I'm, this is the longest I've been home since high school, too. And I'm like, that's a to- it's a total trip. And I've been surfing with a few guys around town, like, you know, the Coffin Brothers, et cetera. And they were like, I didn't know I was going to survive it. So it's been kind of nice for them. They're like, you know, it's good. I, I know that I can live after the tour at some point. Totally. And for, for us, I think it's really special because, I mean, I, for most surfers, you know, you start traveling so young and... Um, I moved to LA and then I lived in New York and I was always away from home, especially in the summertime and being able to be home in the summertime with my whole family, like all my brothers are home, Josh and Seth travel, you know, just as much. So I never see them and to be all home together and like to accidentally see each other in the water and stuff, or like to plan to go surfing together is something that we don't have the luxury of or haven't had the luxury of in the, you know, in the past almost like eight, seven, eight years. So it's, it's such a, it's a blessing in disguise, really. It's, um, it's obviously like awful what's happening in the world, but we're taking, um, the good out of it and we're really enjoying the time here at home where we have dinners together, like every night pretty much. And, um, and yeah, it's, I mean, I've been enjoying it. So I don't know what it's going to be like when normal life happens again, cause I'm going to have a baby. <laughs> And I don't know how I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to learn how to travel all over again. It's gonna be crazy. You mentioned wanting to be a mom for a long time, and I want to talk about your family because you know you and I have known each other for a while. Not not tightly, but like we've seen each other yeah. in the traps. And totally. every time I come to the North Shore, or every time I come to Hawaii, <laughs> the Moni's family. It's like you guys are like this very centering force, and it feels like your family is so so tight. And I've had the pleasure of meeting. Seth and Josh and a couple others. But for those who don't know who the Moniz family is, break it down for us. Mom, dad, brothers, let us know who they are. So it's, a lot of people think, you know, dad's dad's the, the man of the house, but mom's mom's the leader of the pack for sure. And I'm sure dad will agree. Uh, my mom and dad, uh, my mom's a crazy psycho mother. She wanted a lot of kids, which she had. She also wanted to homeschool a lot of kids, which she did. She actually, so I have an older brother, Micah, and then there's me, and then Isaiah, Josh, and Seth. So there's five of us total. And when Seth was born, who Seth's the youngest, um, Micah was only five. So my mom had five kids under the age of five. <laughs> She's crazy. So we we just naturally, I think because of my mom's just like insane mothering spirit, just naturally, we're just a really close-knit family. We grew up in a really small house. Um, we grew up in Hawaii, so it was just natural to, one, enjoy the beach. My dad was a professional surfer, you know. Um, by the time we were born, he was just doing, like, the 88 cows, like, big wave stuff. And we just knew nothing but each other and the ocean. And that was pretty much our life. And um, we, we've always been, we've always just been naturally really, really close and obviously have a lot of friends around. Um, so f- fortunately for us, 
surfing brought us this like almost school type of environment where it made us not awkward homeschool kids because I mean, now a lot of kids homeschool, but they still have like, they still have maybe gone to school and had that like social aspect of life. We're like, we literally like born and raised like in our home, did school on my mom's dining room table and was home with my mom all day and then would go to the beach and just surf all day, all evening. So I'm just curious, what part of Hawaii did you guys grow up in? Because it's it's such a unique space, like the North Shore and town are very, very different. They could almost be different states. Super different. We grew up in town. So we're townies. We grew up surfing in Waikiki. Um, My dad started his surf school in Waikiki when we were in elementary. All of us were like super young. But he started it basically like handing out flyers on the strip in Waikiki. So when he really started his business, meaning he had like 12 soft tops, he would load the soft tops on the top of his van, load up all of us every morning, 7 7 a.m. We're all in the van. My mom would have to help him do all like the paperwork stuff so we wouldn't get like sued. We would unload all the boards on the beach. We'd pop up a tent. We weren't allowed to leave the tent until we were done with our school. And then we'd go surfing the rest of the day. So we literally like grew up doing school on the beach. It's, it sounds like you got to make it work however you can, though. But like I, I've got six year old twins and I think it's, you have to figure it out. You're like, look, you can go live your life and have fun, but you have to do your work first. Like it's it, you figure totally. it out, you know. So my mom was pretty strict. Like it was like homeschooling, which people think is like maybe easier. Like, you know, you know, you're not you don't have that much to do. But my mom was super strict and we had to finish before we go in the water. So every day that was pretty much our life for like the for, for like a couple of years because it took a little bit of time for my dad's business to start his surf school business to start but yeah like we we've always been close then we started doing the nssa contest together um we would travel from you know outer islands and then we started going to nationals which every every summer you go to lowers and huntington and it was it was so fun like having having a big family like I want a big family just because I had a big family and it was like I can't remember ever being one bored and and two I think because my parents were so invested into just us like they spent so much time with us that we were we were I don't know we were able to grow in a really special way together where we didn't like hate each other like we didn't I don't know, some, like some of my friends, like they have siblings, they don't like, we, me and my brothers, we, we, we spend so much time together, even now as like grown adults. And like, we like call each other, hang out, we go train together, we surf together and we have almost like dinner together every night. And I think because of how close my parents kept us, it's allowed like our adult relationships to be really special. And that's why like Seth's rookie year, I was pretty much on tour with him all year because I was like, I can't let him do this by himself. Like, I don't want to be there to support him. And I think that's how the whole family feels as a whole. You know, like when the Triple Crown is here, we're pretty much our whole family plus extended family is like on the beach for every heat, like pretty much no matter what, because that's just how we very passionate about each other. Well, that is super rare, right? Because you guys are on top of each other in in age and also kind of uh-huh. on top of each other in the sense of everyone's in the surfing world. So, it, I mean, yeah. you know, we see it where it's siblings that are close in age or just people there in the surfing world. There's a tension there. But I think that's kind of what I was talking about before. The Moni's family seem like so centered in the sense of everyone kind of harmonizes and gets along. Your dad 
was on tour for for decades and he's a, a legend mm-hmm. in his own right was he you said your mom was a real taskmaster on the school side did he yeah. push you guys to compete early on was that was that his program or because we've seen that a no. lot in the surfing world too no it's so funny he um he was like the opposite and i think that's also why we like all grew to love surfing in our own way like for one i'm a long i'm the only girl and I'm, i ended up being a longboarder that's not like i I actually grew up shortboarding with the boys because I wanted to be cool like them. Right. And they kind of like kept me, it, they just kind of like kept me inspired and I would, I would always go to the beach and all their friends shortboarded. So I just naturally shortboarded, but my dad never had an agenda for us to be surfers. And I think he just didn't want us to feel like, I mean, whether it was surfing or football or baseball or cheer, like I cheerleaded for a year, like it was never, like you have to, like, this is, if you do this, like, this is what you have to do, like for the rest of your life. It was just like, have fun. Like, that's it. And even when we started competing, you know, we, we would like, you know, a lot of our friends would have coaches and we'd be like, my dad was always our coach, but he would literally, like, I can't remember him really saying anything too like in, intense to us in terms of like making sure we're like so focused, but just like, Hey, I, before we paddle out every time, it's like, Hey, go have fun. Like, that's it. So because of that, I think we've made the beach really like such a fun environment to always want to go back to. And they've, they created that for us. And I think that's why now, like we really just love the beach and we love surfing and um, we love going to the beach together as a family. And I think because of my dad having that super soft, like not like kind of nonchalant way of like taking us to the beach it made us want it more. Funny story. When I was, I think I must've been like 11, 10 or 11, but we grew up in Waikiki. Right. And Roxy would always like every summer would bring like their whole team down, like Lisa Anderson, like a bunch of local girls that would have like Roxy stickers on their boards, a whole squad. Jim Rusi would be photographing them would come down to like my beach wearing these cute bathing suits with all these like beautiful girls and be surfing, canoe surfing. And I remember this one time they all came down and I was just like, oh my gosh, that looks like the most fun thing ever. Like I need to be them so badly. So I like went home and I'm like, dad, like you need to send them my resume. Like, here's a picture. Like I printed a picture out of me surfing. I'm like, you need to send them this and like send them my contest results. He's like, you're right. (laughs) He's like, no way. And I'm like, what? Like, I was like heartbroken. I'm like, how could you not do this for me? Like, I know, you know, people at Roxy Quicksilver, like please, please dad. Like, this is like, this is all I want. He's like, you just keep having fun. And, um, if you know, they see you one day and if you're, you know, there, maybe, maybe you'll become a Roxy girl. And I was just like, always like, how could you do this? Like, you're like, not going to help me like live out my dreams. (laughs) Anyways, long story short, I am a Roxy girl now. And I'd like, I'm so thankful that we didn't, he didn't, take that route with me because he could have so easily made a phone call and been like hey my girl wants a sticker can you just like slap a sticker on her board real quick and that would have made me feel like my dreams come true but I had to work for it a little hard in a sense and it's like it's crazy to say work when I was like 10 but I did I had to be patient and I had to like pursue something that I wanted to do without having my dad just make a quick phone call and I, I always appreciated him for that because it allowed me to be really proud for my achievements that I knew I 
did it on my own or I, or I worked hard towards something. And, and yeah, I think it kind of like allowed me to like, kind of like pursue that in like the rest of my life and the rest of my career and not like rely on daddy making a phone call or like someone else making a phone call, but just really doing the work myself. So that, yeah. I, I think that that laissez-faire kind of approach to parenting is the only way to do it, regardless of what you think your kid's going to get into, right? Because it right. gets you, it gets the kid to a point where they're hungry to do it themselves and they can appreciate the work, as you put it, that goes into it to achieving something. And it is hard. Like, it, I, that's the hardest thing is like a young parent is like, I want, you know, my kids to have all this stuff and I want them to have a good yeah. time. And I want to like drag them into a space that I think is going to be really fun for them. But at the end of the day, like I've had that many people and I, hopefully I've done an okay job with this where it's like, dude, just you want them to be hungry to go surfing or to go do whatever yeah. because the sense of achievement is is long-term benefit big time. Totally. And I think it's also just so important to like allow them to figure out if it's something they like. Like I could have easily not like, I, and I it, it ended up for me being, I kind of stopped liking shortboarding and not because I didn't like a shortboard, but I didn't want to do the QS. So once I did the junior series, I realized, okay, if I actually want to pursue this as like a real career, I know I have to start doing the QS after the NSSAs. And I didn't want to do the QS because I just was like, that freaked me out. And I was always a little bit better at longboarding. So I'm like, dad, I'm going to be a longboarder. He's like, oh, really? I'm like, yeah, what do you think? He's like, do whatever you want. I mean, if it makes you like stoked, do it. And I chose longboarding and it, it kind of worked out all right for me. And I'm really like thankful that I did that because even with that now, like when I go surfing, I'm excited to go surfing. And when I go to the ocean, I'm like happy to be on a longboard, not on a shortboard. We're going to get to how it quote unquote kind of worked <laughs> out for you on the longboard. But real quick, you mentioned <laughs> that you said you tried cheerleading for a year, but where was that? I if did. you weren't going to school, how does that work? Um, they have like, just like little like town pop Warner like teams and my brothers Micah and Isaiah both wanted to play football and I went to one of their practices and there was like these girls cheerleading and again I never went to school so I was always very intimidated of like group spaces of especially girls mm. because I never I was always around boys right. and I remember going to a practice with them and and seeing these girls like doing all these cheers and I was like oh my gosh mom I need to be a cheerleader so like the next day I came and I like signed up to be a cheerleader and I loved it. I loved it so much. But then my brothers quit football and uh, I, I mean, I wasn't going to go cheerlead for the team that my brothers <laughs> were on. So, yeah, so I quit. <laughs> well, so, so we've been talking to me about family, but you know, I think in, in my experience, having been fortunate enough to come to Hawaii a lot, I, I think that's like one of the core tenets of just experiencing the Hawaiian community as a whole. Um, and I did a little bit of research, but I read that the, the Moni's bloodline, it's Hawaiian, Portuguese, Irish, Chinese, and Japanese. Did I get that right? You did. Can you talk a little bit about just the experience growing up as a Hawaiian in Hawaii, what that means culturally and, 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 and what your experience was like growing up and, and I guess get, and kind of becoming an adult as well? Um, so I think this is such an interesting question, especially given the time that we're in. Um, but in Hawaii, we're basically a mixing pot. I mean, you read off all these backgrounds that really represent who I am. And that's, I think, what Hawaii is. We're a melting pot of not just native Hawaiian, but we have so much 
Asian and and Caucasian and all these amazing nationalities mix into one. And I think because of that, it's never been there's there's not so much segregation here. Mm. Everyone is like very unified because of this melting mixing pot. And you're not I there's no like crazy like I, I don't feel I mean I never felt segregated mm. because of a nationality or, or because I'm not this or because I am this. Um, I do think that that has especially today when we're when we're seeing what's happening you know in the world everywhere in the mainland in in America not in Hawaii um i think in a sense it's not i haven't seen so much of like racism or these like crazy segregated things because of me being a brown skinned mixed racial girl mm-hmm. and it's been a blessing but now it's like i'm learning a lot because i'm i need to understand that like there are differences in in other parts of the world because of what color you are and it's interesting because my dad actually would tell us stories of him traveling um when he was on tour and when he went to um, actually South Africa for the first time and he was super young and he got to the airport in South Africa and there were black and white bathrooms and he didn't know which one to go in because he he's not African American but he's got super dark skin but he's not white like he's clearly not white but he's not african american so it for him that was like his first time experiencing like how segregated the outside world is almost compared to hawaii because there's none of that here and if anything it's almost the opposite in some people's eyes it's almost the opposite like if you don't have brown skin then you don't belong here but that's actually not the case because like I mean for me at least like growing up in our family like my my dad my parents never it was never ever this like color thing mm-hmm. of howlies and hawaiians like we were just I don't know all the same I don't know right, yeah. we didn't have there wasn't this segregation so I don't know from for me I guess to answer your question I've been very blessed to grow up in a place where we've really opened or i've learned to just be a part of a culture and a community that's very um open and that's very mixed and now being a native hawaiian growing up in a generation where i think culture is becoming such an important part of people's lives and identities especially native hawaiian right now because there are a lot of battles with um native hawaiian land and um people actually just really going back to the root learning to speak the native hawaiian language honoring our ancestors in surfing and honoring them in kala farming and all these things that i think we've lost a little bit as a community i mean at least for me like i didn't grow up being like a super proud hawaiian i, I was proud of being hawaiian don't get me wrong but i never i never learned to dance hula cuz i was always surfing Um there was just things that I didn't do as like you would think as like a native Hawaiian but now I am my eyes are being open to so much more and so much more of like who I am as a Hawaiian um that I don't know it's it's a really interesting it's a really cool time and I'm I'm becoming more and more proud and like now having a baby like I was telling my husband the other day I'm like I really want my child to to learn how to speak Hawaiian mm-hmm. and to understand that there's this almost like fizzling dying out 
bloodlines really because like my child would be like very a very small percentage of Hawaiian mm -hmm. but you, he, he or she will still be Hawaiian and don't let I it want slip to make we don't sure want the reveal to happen on the podcast so. I'll find out in two days <laughs> so by the time this comes out we'll know um but I yeah I just I, I I'm very proud of it and there's just, I mean, I could talk about this for hours. Well, I, I think your melting pot comments, like, totally right, you know? And and yeah. it's funny because I, I vividly remember learning that when I was a kid where they're like, hey, the strength of America is it's a melting pot of all these cultures mm -hmm. and people, et cetera, et cetera. But as you said, like, you know, especially in 2020, you kind of being, your eyes are being opened to like, wow, I guess that's not the case. And mm -hmm. I don't know why not, right? Because you said, you, you know, you grew up in Hawaii where it felt right, you know, to have like a nice balance of uh, culture and people. And, yeah. and growing up, I never thought twice of it either. I thought that's oh, part of what makes America a really special place. Um, right. But it is that real balance. Like it's a balance of like respecting and honoring culture and heritage, whether it's learning the hula or learning the native uh, Hawaiian tongue, but also the export, the importance of kind of expanding that into other cultures and people. So people aren't so siloed and it's really tough. I mean, it makes sense from like a genetic standpoint. It's like, yeah, you got to spread the genes out. That's better for everybody, right? Right. I think so. I I could I could definitely agree with that. And I, I just I guess I I guess I just want to make sure that I do my part as a Native Hawaiian who is very proud of being able to carry this this thing that I do, which is called surfing, to my son or daughter and my family. And to make sure that they're proud of the fact that this is where surfing was essentially birthed. And, but it's just not surfing. There's so much more that our culture is very proud of. And I want to make sure that I like give and, and, and uh, share that with my child and, and make sure that they are able to understand that this is a part of their blood and like, kind of like how my dad did, if this is something you want to pursue, pursue it. If not, whatever your heart desires, darling. <laughs> it, it's an awesome like entry point to, to, for other people and cultures too. Right. And it's, it's one of those things where if people are treating each other with respect and people are being mm -hmm. open and proud of, of different people and different cultures, then people should feel confident in, in not kind of washing over a culture and not kind of homogenizing it. So everyone's the same, I think. And surfing kind of has the opportunity to, 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 uh, transcend a lot of boundaries, whether they're sort of cultural or racial or, or gender out there. And I think surfing is similar to Hawaii in a sense of being this mixing pot of cultures, because if you look at just, you know, the top 10 really in the world, um, men, both female and male, it's like you have people from all ends of the earth and they travel all year together on tour and they are able to share their backgrounds and their different um, cultures with each other. And I think that's super special. About that's another thing that I really enjoy about being a surfer. We want to get into that a little bit more, but first we're going to take a quick break to get a word in from our sponsors. So the state of longboarding, um, I want to get your take on this. Now, Joel Tudor once said something <laughs> to the effect of, and I'm going to paraphrase, longboarding isn't anti-competition it's just a different kind of competition mm -hmm. and I always felt like that was a really succinct way to put it when you kind of consider the direction of competitive longboarding for for several years kind of in the 1990s and 2000s like what do you think about that oh man there's so much that I think about this. go for it 
for starters, I, I kind of grew up competing. So I competed a bunch and then I stopped. So I have a extremely competitive edge inside of me, like deep down inside of me. And I feel like I kind of, kind of shifted my whole entire career another way, just because it almost overwhelmed me of like, just wanting to win or wanting to accomplish things that I almost felt like it took over the fun part of what my dad always encouraged me to do, which is surf. So when I did start doing the long board, I stopped competing. And then I started doing just the one event that longboarding had a year. To me, that was amazing because I'm like, okay, I'd like to compete. So if I can just put all my eggs here and just try and win, I don't have to like stress all year long about winning all year long to then lose at the end of the year. I can just have fun, surf, practice, travel, do the Roxy thing, have so much fun. And then at the end of the year, try my best to win. And I was so young, but I really wanted to win. And I, you know, I won a few events and I was super, it was more for me. And it's weird because it's like, I didn't ever have this competitive thing towards longboarding. Just more like, can I do this? Like, can I win? Can I have a world title? Like, is this possible for me to do? And it was something that I, goal that I set for myself and I did it. I think there's so many layers to competitive surfing. It's Surfing is just a biased sport. Like you visually as like just a human being, it's just natural for anyone to look at surfing and look at two different surfers. I won't give any two different, I won't give two, but two very different surfers. Let's just say a longboard and a shortboard. And let's just take someone who's never seen surfing before to look at those two surfers on the same wave and to biasly say, I like this versus this. There's a 50-50 chance that that person likes longboarding over shortboarding or visually is enjoying watching the shortboarder versus the longboarder. Now you take that to longboarding. Longboarding, there's very different forms of longboarding, really. And I think that's where it gets a little bit complicated on the competitive side because you don't just have one type of longboard. You have a few different variations. And then you also don't have the same approach to a longboard. And there's no right way to approach a longboard. You can't say that this is the right way versus this. Like I couldn't tell you that my way of longboarding is the traditional classic way because who says like, yeah, that's what they did or whatever in the 70s and mm-hmm. 80s. It, it, this is a certain way that they did it classically. But also like it's 2020. So like, wouldn't you kind of want it to change a little bit and maybe progress or maybe looking at different places was sorry, the waves in certain places in the world allow longboarding to be surfed a different way versus Mm -hmm. in Hawaii, there were bigger waves that a lot of longboarders surfed and you have to surf it progressively because you can't, you can't dance at pipeline. Like you dance at Noosa. It just, it won't happen. Right. So I don't know. There's so many like layers of the direction of longboarding, depending on it all comes back to the way that that person who's riding that board thinks that it's visually or fun. It's like visual. It's either they enjoy this way of like watching them surf this way, or they just enjoy surfing this way because it feels good. Do you think that your approach is a combination like of sort of classic and kind of a updated version of classical longboarding? I mean, it's so hard to say. (laughs) 
I appreciate progressive longboarding because I grew up watching progressive longboarding. Right. So I appreciate watching it in a bigger way. I appreciate watching people ride a bigger board, whether it's on the nose or doing a big turn or getting barreled. I, I really appreciate that. But I also appreciate watching someone on a tiny wave, which is sometimes equally as difficult, on the nose, turning and making it look like they're floating on a wave that's like should be probably bigger than it is. If you're surfing a small wave, it's actually kind of harder to surf than, you know, a wave that is giving you a little bit more juice. So, I mean, I could talk about this for hours again, because I think that there's no right way of talking about or there's no right way of saying that this is how it should be done right when it comes to competing and you got a lineup of judges all those judges are going to look at one wave differently period and unfortunately for longboarding there is so many different styles no one's surfing on the same equipment no one's looking and approaching a competition the same way because you have people who are looking at a turn a different way than they are looking at a nose ride. Mm. And you can't compare the two. So how are you going to compare the two at a score? That's hard. Well, if surfing, I've, I've said this a lot, like surfing, in my opinion, um, is probably the most watched subjectively scored sport on the planet, right? I think you get some Olympic yes. sports that pop up every now and then, but month to month, when we're not in COVID, more people watch <laughs> surfing than any other sport. And it's totally subjectively scored. Do you think it's e it's more of a challenge for the judges to score a longboard wave than it is a shortboard wave? Do you think there's more approaches to high performance longboarding than than high performance short well high performance longboarding, but I guess sort of world title contending longboarding compared to world title contending shortboarding? Do I think it's harder to judge longboarding? Yeah, I mean, I think kind of where, where I'm landing just based on on your feedback now is because like the judge, it's the most subjectively scored sport to begin with. It's even more subjective on the longboarding side because there's different approaches. Absolutely. And and I think that just comes down to what people enjoy seeing. And I think, it, and then it comes back to it being such a, a baby sport. Like we're still in like the growing pains of like being a competitive sport. Mm longboarding because i mean obviously there's been long competent like you know longboard comp contests that have happened throughout you know a long many years but because now it's being televised so mm -hmm. more people are able to actually see it like when i won a, my first world title like it was a tell like we didn't have like nothing was televised so no one saw who i beat and why i beat them mm -hmm. so like no one would really know if i was surfing better or not unless you were there right which there wasn't many people people in china time um but there's a ton of people um, in china what are you talking about yeah there's a ton of people in china not in hainan <laughs> <laughs> but i i think it's I, I think because it is just uh you know we're we're just on we're just getting started and i think when the more eyes that we have on our sport which i'm super excited that i that i feel like wsl is really trying so hard to create a platform to make it a um an opportunity like it's it's such a huge opportunity for a lot of longboarders and i think especially the next generation to have a platform to be able to compete more than just once a year and um i think you know i, I do i do see the sport growing in terms of a lot of surfers appreciating style mm. and when i say style then that's a whole nother thing because it's like you you got just biased eyes looking at something saying thinking is this 
I can look at someone surfing and say, I don't like the way they surf, but that's not my, like, I have no right to say this out loud. I could think it, but you watch someone surf and especially in the longboard style matters so much, but it's also something that can be forced. Mm -hmm. So you don't want to like, I I have a hard time talking about it so much because it's like, you don't want to talk about it to the point where you're trying to force the style. That's just like, kind of should be something where you just like learn to like, sink with the ocean. Well, I think that platform thing that you're getting at is it's kind of a little bit what Devin Howard's been trying to do over the last couple of years too, which is merge those, not that there's only two schools of thought on longboarding, but two kind of primary schools of thought that Mm -hmm. is sort of classical style versus high performance. And I think that was, I mean, I, I think it's awesome that we have Devin here because I do think that classical stylish single fin approach was like, there was this burgeoning culture out there within the longboard community that was existing sort of as a counterweight to high perform exclusively high performance longboarding. So I think mm-hmm. what he's doing is great because it's not a it, it now we're now we're all going back to single fins. He's saying, look, there's value in both. We're kind of creating something new um, and trying to provide mm-hmm. that platform for everyone to perform upon. Yeah. And I think the more the more that um because I think the WSL is so, such a powerful, they're so powerful in surfing, obviously. Obviously. Um, the fact that they are, <laughs> they are uh, showing different styles of longboarding, but also highlighting beautiful surfing, regardless of what kind of board they're riding. Because a lot of, you won't know what kind of board someone's riding unless you flip that board over and like have a good look at it. Mm. But you... I could ride I could ride a high performance board like a classic board if I wanted to. Right. So allowing like, you know, people to see like really, really, really beautiful longboarding on a scale like the WSL, I think is really important because it allows people to see good surfing, see good longboarding. Not to say that one way of longboarding is good and the other one is bad. It's just demonstrating a visually pleasing beautiful way of riding a wave on a long piece of equipment and judging on that surfing based on the board they're riding shouldn't matter as long as they're as long as it like is visually pleasing to you that's my opinion yeah i think it's totally valid let's talk about your world titles because you won the world title back to back in 2012 2013 you beat chelsea williams in both the finals so i'm sure she has a voodoo doll of uh kalia money (laughs) you were 19 and 20 at the time how did winning back-to-back world titles change your life? Um, or did it? I don't, it's so funny. I, I wouldn't say that it, like changed my life. I was super proud of them because I, like I said earlier, like I, I wanted to win so badly for me and I wanted to see if I could do it. And I actually had, a, it was a funny battle. Chelsea and I were in the final together at that contest four years in a row. <laughs> but the year before I won a world title, she won. Mm-hmm. And but that wasn't a world, it wasn't a world title event. Right. And then the next year it was a world title event. I'm like, oh, you bet your ass I'm going to beat you this year. And I did. And the next year I was like, one's cool, but like two means like it wasn't an accident, especially because I knew people couldn't see it. Right. It wasn't, it wasn't televised. And I wanted to just like prove myself that it wasn't a fluke that I won. So I, I won again. And the next year she won, but it was super close. And I was like, oh my gosh, I wanted to win so bad. I was like, 
okay, three is my lucky number. Um, but I didn't think, I don't think it changed my life. I think if anything, now I'm more like proud of my world titles because I lost that like super crazy urge to be a winner. Right. Like I, it just doesn't, it, I, it comes, it like, I have like waves of wanting to compete again, but also I have the worst and severe anxiety of competing. Mm. So when I, like I've been competing the last two years, so it's just a little bit. And I am so nervous when I surf, like in a contest that I don't even think it's worth it anymore because I can't even surf. Like, I feel like I'm like embarrassed because I don't feel like I'm able to like maximize on like what I can do. So I'm just like, forget this. I'm, I can't do this. Like my emotions are taking over. So um, I think now I'm more proud of them because I feel like, okay, I did it. And I proved to myself that I could do it. And now I just want to surf. I just want to share surfing with people. If that means competing every once in a while, sure. If that's making edits, sure. I just want to surf. You touched on it before because both of those events were, you had to surf the regional qualifier to get to them. But once you got to them, everyone started at zero. And whoever won that event, uh, single event, was the world champion. And you mentioned before, like, it's great because I got to not stress out. I just practiced throughout the year. I made the event and then I could focus all my competitive energy on a single event, which is funny enough, the direction that the CT is moving in to a degree, um, moving towards a world title event format. Right. What do you think are the pros and cons from, from your experience uh, doing it? And how do you think it's going to play out on the CT side of things? I don't know. I think, I think the competitive uh, the where surfing is as like a competitive sport now is like at such an insane level, like just watching my brother, Seth and Josh, um, and, you know, really like all of the tour surfers, not only compete, but prepare for competition. It's just like in a place where like, I was not doing that when I won my world. I was nowhere. So I, to, to say like, to compare what my preparation was or what I did, it would be extremely unfair, but in a sense, I, when I look back at it now, I mean, mentally, surfing is so mental, right? I don't, I'm not sure if it's going to be easier or harder to do, to prepare for one single event in terms of like a world title sure. for these guys, because they are used to kind of this marathon of a year where it's just event after event. And, you know, they have, it's, it's such a grindy year of traveling and competing, but uh, you can see that they have a rhythm. A lot of the, the guys who have been on tour for a while, they have this rhythm of like each stop, each country, each event, they've learned this cadence of competing where now it's going to be a little different because it's kind of going to be like you prep and then you go. It's kind of more of a sprint really. So I don't know. It's going to be interesting. I'm really excited. I'm super excited. I think it's, it's going to be as a, as a viewer and a spectator, I'm really excited because it's going to be a lot more like I'm like literally sweating thinking about it because like to see my brother maybe compete for a world title is like so exciting in like a small amount of time. Right. It's so exciting. Yeah, I think it's you what know? you said. I think some surfers will some surfers like having that. I have to be consistent across the whole year as opposed to build everything mm -hmm. up and deliver on the day or at the event. Like I think you're going to see different surfers gravitate towards it. But 
for it's going to be really interesting. Oh, for sure. I can't, I really can't wait until we wake up uh, next year and see what happens when they call it on for the final <laughs> yeah. day. I'll be like, yes, this would be not miss. Amazing. <laughs> for this week's segment of the rear view presented by BF Goodrich, we're actually going to flash forward from your back-to-back world titles and watch a heat from the 2019 Galicia Longboard Classic, which had amazing waves. And this heat features you, Honolulu Blomfield, and Kira Molnar. Cool. All right. So what was, wh- number one, where is Galicia? What's your headspace at heading into this event? Quickly, I just want to go ahead and talk about my hairdo in that picture. <laughs> um, that's when I had a mullet. So... Yeah, wow. You wore it well. Um, so this is in Spain, Galicia, Spain. It's a super cute small town. I actually really, I was actually really nervous to go there because my brothers told me it was like really boring, <laughs> and that's kind of all they told me. And um, and I got there, and it was so peaceful. It was so beautiful. It was such a beautiful countryside like place. I got this super like darling little house and. Yeah, it was, I actually, I actually really enjoyed myself there, but these waves were so hard to longboard. <laughs> what makes them hard to longboard for, for people like me who just has no idea? Cause you look like you're having a good time. The tide change is so drastic. So like literally the wave moved and shifted every 15 minutes, 10 minutes, really. Um, luckily my brother Josh was there and he's been there like so many times. So, and he's like a QS warrior. So he's so like he knows so many little I just pays attention to these little details that I am like oblivious to and if I wasn't there I probably wouldn't have made one heat seriously <laughs> um so I mean the, the waves are constantly moving and and you know it's like big in the morning and then all of a sudden it's like super high tide and terrible and fat so it was just it's just really hard I mean I think for no matter what board you ride really but this day in particular I it was just kind of like there was just like a lot of water moving and when you have a longboard it's just not the easiest sometimes to maneuver um, through waves to get back out but luckily you have a lot of volume so you can paddle a little faster well you mentioned um, getting a little cottage do you do you travel at this event are you traveling with anyone i know you said you had josh there are you guys staying together do you stay with any other yeah. longboards in the event so i actually got this little house and i had Kalise kaleopa'a her mom um, Connie Ellis Stewart and my best friend Megan Godinez and we all stayed together and Josh stayed with us as well for a few nights it's so fun to travel with like your friends no matter what where you go really um, uh, and especially to Europe because it's just no matter what you're going to get this like crazy different cultural experience especially coming from Hawaii so it was it was fun it's always just such a blast to travel that far together and then to like try to figure out how to live in a different country for a couple of weeks together. I always so think really of like touring is just kind of like summer camp for adults. Basically, it's always fun. It, you know? it is. It's so fun trying to figure out where to eat, trying to figure out like what time. The funny thing about this place is that everything is nowhere was open really at like a reasonable hour. So you would surf all day. The sun doesn't go down to like 1030 and then like you don't have dinner till like 11 <laughs> yeah, and you're like literally dying of tiredness but you just have to stay up if you want to eat <laughs> i used to do this thing when we go to brazil and they'd be like you got to come to the party and i'm like oh, what time is it they're like oh it kind of gets going at like two i'm like 
So I would go to bed and then I'd get up and shower and then go to the party. So I'm like, I, I can't, I can't just it's rally through. I'm not insane. It's insane. And you'd taken a couple of years off of competing before 2019. And what was the thought mm-hmm. process there? And why did you decide to come back? Um, kind of like I said earlier a little bit, I kind of touched on how like, I don't know, I have this like love-hate relationship with competing. And I think I just didn't really appreciate losing at the time. <laughs> So I just was like, I'm not going to like get angry at it. I'm just going to stop doing it. And um, yeah, I stopped. And then I had a couple birdies in my ear just been like, why? Like you're, I was really young. Like, I, I mean, I still am pretty young, but um, I think I, you know, I won when I was 19, 20. I went back 21. So I stopped competing. Oh, you know what also happened? I got um, a little bit of an accident where I was on this boat trip. I slipped and fell on my face on this boat and broke my teeth out and like got all this like bone damage in my mouth. So I actually couldn't surf for like seven months. I couldn't really do anything because I broke so much bone up here and your gums are so sensitive Mm. to like any type of like pressure in your head, like blood circulation and stuff that I just couldn't really, like, I couldn't work out. I couldn't do anything that, like, got my blood going because I needed to let it heal for, and it takes such a long time to heal. Like, I literally finished all my reconstructive reconstructive surgery and my teeth and my, like, bones in my mouth a year and a half ago. And I fell, like, it's 2017. Wow. So that's also what happened. I fell and I couldn't surf. And then so I just didn't feel prepared. The pressure and frustration around losing or potentially losing, did did that increase for you after you won your world titles? Do you feel like the spotlight was more on you and, and you put more pressure on yourself and that it intensified? Or is that something that's been consistent from the from the start for you? Yeah, I think it definitely played a little bit of a role. I think it honestly got worse like this time around when I started competing again. Right. Because I feel like maybe my platform had built a little bit and people almost expected me to not when I say people, I don't mean people I don't know. I, I literally don't talk about like my family and friends. Right. Like they're like, why would you stop? Like, just like, you're so young. And just why would you not just try? And I think that kind of was like, I would tell myself like, yeah, why won't, why am I not just going to try? And then that got me overwhelmed with like, oh my gosh, if I try, that means I can't fail. Cause if I fail, then you're losing again. Like, right. so it just, it's just, you know, I, I don't know. It's a competitive spirit that is just scared of losing and failing. Really. I, I remember Andy <laughs> said that like a long time ago, he said, you know, everyone wants you to win your first world title. Like everyone's cheering for you to win your first world title. Because the second you right. lose, you get a target on your back. Like they want you to lose mm-hmm. and, or sorry, second you win, um, you know, everyone puts a target on your back. Yeah. And I think, I think also it kind of made me feel a little, um, having a little bit more like, I don't know, attention in certain ways makes you have this like unrealistic pressure. It's just like a complete unrealistic pressure of like, when I look at it now, when, now that I'm not competing, I don't have the pressure on me. I'm like pregnant. I'm like, I can't compete anyway. It's like, whatever I could, but I, not. Um, I look at it like, why would you even care? Like who cares? But like in the time when it's happening, you care. I care so much. And I like to pretend I don't, but in reality, I do. <laughs> what's your relationship like with your? What's your relationship like with your competitors here? With with we'll start with Honolulu because she's up and riding. Oh well, Hono, she's I've known her 
since she was a little incy wincy baby. Um, she's the sweetest girl. I, I don't know. I don't have any weird relationships with competitors. Mm. It's more just myself. Um, if anything, I really admire, especially these girls in her age group and even younger who are coming up like Khalees. She's 15, 16. She's like a child and she's actually winning. She's, she won the first event of the year and they are just very determined. And I think it's, for me, it's really cool to see that they're able to harness that like determination, but not let their emotions, like I'm super emotional and I definitely am like guilty of letting those emotions get the best of me in my performances. And they don't let that happen. They're just kind of like, they surf so much. They're so confident. They know their boards and they're just going to surf. So I, I really admire that, especially Hono. Hono's just like, she's just a little surf rat. She surfs so much and she knows how good she is. And she's not like competing against the field. She's really just trying to like better herself every time. So I, um, I really can admire that. Well, there's also like, there's kind of that bell curve in all sports, right? Where when you're young, you're like singularly focused. You don't have a lot going on. You, you, you surf all day or you play basketball, Mm -hmm. whatever it is. Right. Yeah. And you're like, yeah, yeah. And, and you, you don't have any accomplishments yet necessarily. So everything's kind of gravy. You're like, yeah, I'm the underdog. Like, and you kind of feed off that energy and it's Mm -hmm. when you do start achieving things again, you get that target on your back. You're also getting, you're becoming an adult. So your life's getting considerably more complex than it was when it's like, Oh, I just surf all day. <laughs> like, exactly. So all, I think all those things kind of factor in and, and it's, it's, I think it's something that you see in both sides of surfing um, and in other sports too. Totally. Thank you for acknowledging that. Cause sometimes you need to be reminded. <laughs> of course. Well, and then you get you people like Kelly who just probably like take all of the increasing complexity and just use it to like channel his competitive focus where you're like, that's hard. And not a lot of people do that. Yeah. Well, he's a freak. different kind of guy i don't understand that psychology (laughs) (laughs) yeah i don't know if anyone does like i think that's why he's pretty unique i know it's amazing so so you're starting your family are you gonna are you thinking that you might compete after or or after you have kids or is that just up in the air i honestly it's funny like part of me feels like since i got pregnant i've been um i've been surfing a bunch and it's actually quite challenging surfing with a child in your belly. It's like my balance is like already getting messed up and I'm not even that like big yet. Um, But I think it almost might set this challenge again for myself Mm. to be like, can you do it? Can you, or can you just perform? Can you get better maybe? I don't know. Like, am I going to get better at surfing after I have a kid? That'd be kind of cool. You get your mom's. I don't feel like I'm pretty good. I personally don't feel like I have gotten any better at surfing in the last five years. I feel like I can understand what I want my surfing to look like fully. I feel like I got better equipment. So it's allowing me to surf the way I feel like I want people to visually see me surf. But in terms of like technique and like getting better, I'm not better. I think one of the, (laughs) one of the things that might be interesting and I'm not forecasting or, or prophesying what's going to happen here, but I think for for me personally, there was just like an incredible amount of weight lifted by having kids because I was like, these are already like the I mean, I didn't do anything, you know, I'm like these I did the bare minimum. And I'm like, these kids are like, <laughs> you did the fun stuff, Yeah, I guess. Yeah. But like, I'm like, these kids are already like the best thing I'll ever accomplish in my life. So like all the other yeah. kind of pressure about like, are you going to do this? Are you going to do that? Kind of 
it's not that it's not there. It's not driving me anymore. But like, you just feel this huge sense of release where you're like, ah, oh, I, I did a good thing, you know, because these kids are awesome and I didn't even really do it. Mm-hmm. Like, so maybe that'll play into your advantage. You're like, oh, no pressure. I already did like an awesome thing. I already, and you, and maybe my focus won't be so much on myself because I, I mean, I know my focus won't only be on myself. <laughs> so maybe that'll be beneficial to uh, a, a potential uh, competitive career in my, in my future. <laughs> Yeah, we'll see. And I mean, I think, like, as you said, like, the platform for all surfers, longboarders included, like, you can go film and edit, you can go do an event, you mm-hmm. are, a, I mean, being a brand ambassador is something I want to talk about, too, with you, because it feels like there's so many ways for you to express who you are and what longboarding is and share surfing with people nowadays. It's not just mm-hmm. one singular thing. Yeah. Um, I think for for me particularly and why I love longboarding and why I love uh, making sure that I show how fun I'm having when I surf. And, and, and I don't even mean like when I'm on a wave, I mean like when the process of going surfing. So that includes the people I go surfing with, um, where I go surfing, like in tropical places, because I don't like being in a wet <laughs> Um And and making it this experience of really what my childhood looked like. Like I want to make sure that when I go surfing, like people kind of get in a, a little like preview of what my my childhood looked like because it was like the most special time really in my life of being able to just go to the beach and like literally not care about anything. And when people watch longboarding, and when I say people, I mean people who have never surfed before. I think that there's this approach to seeing someone on a longboard that looks like, huh, I can do that. Versus like a lot of the other stuff that people are doing right now, like my little brothers are doing like backflips and cartwheels. And I don't even know all these other things that I can't even do on land. So it's really confusing when they're doing it on a moving wave in the air Um, for a person who's never seen surfing to look at that and go, I can do that is probably maybe like I want to do that one day is like, you know, but like looking at me going kind of like straight down the line on a wave, I'm in my head, I'm thinking these people, like someone will probably say, I want to do that. And I can do that right now because it doesn't really look that difficult. And I want to make sure that I'm constantly sharing that like pure joy of like simply riding a wave. Well, and it's a different kind of intensity, right? I mean, I, um, you know, Steph Gilmore was saying that every time you stand up, you're smiling, you know, and I think that shines through in regardless of how you're kind of expressing longboarding. And she also said like, you know, the way Kalia surfs is pretty much the most beautiful ballet on water you could ever imagine. I think people gravitate towards that a lot, but in terms of competition, I think it, it actually would be much more difficult to decide as you we've talked about how to approach the wave. You know, I think when you're shortboarding, it's, you're kind of like, I am in fifth gear the entire time. I'm surfing as fast as I can. I'm hitting every section as hard as I can. But in longboarding, you actually have to intentionally throttle back to, to execute different parts of it. Right. Right. And I think that's like just a big divide in like, are you, am I missing the mark by highlining through this really beautiful section because I'm not on the nose or I'm kind of just like, in a, in maybe not, I'm not on the nose, but I'm not on the tail of my board. I'm in the middle of the wave. I'm high and I'm like in a critical part, but I'm just going, I'm just going straight. If I'm just going straight on the section, is that considered not technical? So I don't know. There's a lot of ways to look at it, but I think that, um, 
just from a perspective of not knowing surfing from a person who's like maybe like learning to surf and they're able to see that and go, oh, whoa, that looks fun. I want to make sure that I'm always like kind of embodying that forever because I want people to, I want more people to surf. It's such a beautiful, happy, um, I don't know, epic thing to do. Well, and I think it goes back to the melting pot point. I think the more people that have a good mm -hmm. experience doing it, the better off we are as a society in a lot of ways. Right. What, I think surfing brings a lot of happiness to the world. So I've, um, you know, I've been traveling on the tour for 15 years now for, for the, um, my career at the ASP and WSL. Wow. And, um, I'm always like blown away time. by how many boards everyone brings. Um, I used to bring way too many boards. I'm down to just one on the longboard tour. Like how many boards would you travel to Galicia with, um, in terms of a coin? Oh, I do not carry more than two boards. Mm. I would literally break my back if I had to carry too much. It, my boards are like, my boards aren't super heavy, but I think with just like so much, um, what, just the board bag itself, right. like, I mean, I, my board's are like nine, nine, two, nine, four. It's a lot of board. It's a lot of board. board bag. And you have all like the accessories that go into it. It's, I can't carry it. There's some, oh, some girls take two board bags, four boards. Personally, I don't break boards. I, am extremely calculated when I catch a wave. So if I feel like I'm going to break my board, I'm probably not going to go. I also don't like getting pounded. So again, if I, I'm like, I'm a, I'm a straight up wuss when it comes to surfing any type of sketchy wave. Well, um, well, hold on because you, you are world well, okay. famous <laughs> for attempting the longboard chopu and I'm not uh, succeeding <laughs> in a lot of ways too. So tell, tell us about that. Where, how does, how do you bridge the gap between you being totally calculated and surfing one of the most intense waves on the planet? When it is up to me, I am very calculated. I when I surfed chopu, I was not up to me. I was in the hands of Raymana. Oh, yeah. <laughs> And when you're in the hands of Raymana, you have no choice but to listen to him. Because if you don't listen to him, you'll probably kill yourself. So I just listened to him. And he told me to jump off his ski. And I just basically just didn't look at what I was jumping into and just jumped. <laughs> well, Raymana is now head of the uh, the Water Patrol surf guides at the surf ranch. So it's like a wildly yes. different experience than being at Chopu. But yeah, it's still the same deal. Like you have to listen the to him. Same deal. Cause he's screaming at you from that ski <laughs> yes. telling you to go, go down, pull in, go up. And it's the best feeling because you feel so like empowered. Like, wow, he really believes in me, but he believes in freaking everyone. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, no, he's amazing. And I mean, it was a great experience. Like I'm super happy. I like, at least can say that I tried to, but will I ever do it again? Probably not. Mm -hmm. You did it. Well, and then I, I guess it. too, like, so, so for, if we're looking at this heat, you mentioned you have different kinds of longboards. I'd imagine they kind of range from, you know, more classical single fins to probably more high performance. Like what kind of board are you riding in this heat and why did you make that selection? Um, so I, I grew up in Hawaii, obviously surfing in Hawaii and I grew up surfing two plus one. So I had three fins under my tail, pretty much my whole, I, I won my world titles on two plus ones. I never rode single fins. And that's basically because I grew up watching and learning from people who rode two plus ones. And, um, I loved it because I loved, I also loved turning. And when you ride something that has three fins in it, smaller fins that you can turn it a lot easier and you feel the drive and all these amazing things. But then I started to, when I was like 
fifth, maybe six, seven, no, I must've been 18. Sorry. I was 18. Um, I was always very, very inspired by Cassie Mitter. Mm. And she, um, I went on a trip to the men's wives with her and she would always, she always wrote single fins. She's like, she's like, Grom, you need to try this board. And I was always looked at her boards like, oh my gosh, they're so big. Like my boards were always so small and like they're, you know, tiny compared to hers. But I remember doing my first like real like hang 10. Like obviously I've hung 10 before, but on a log that lifted me and it felt like I was like literally like on a diving board on the wave. And I, I remember that feeling. I got a photo and I will always remember this photo and the the surf and like surfing with her that day because it was like really like amazing. So it's really crazy what equipment can do. And since that time, that was a Dane Peterson board that I rode. Um, since that time, he shaped me a board. Um, and it's like still to this day, one of my favorite boards that I ride. Um, and since then, I kind of just was experimenting with different shapes. I am super naive when it comes to board shapes and understanding what works and why it works. But what I do know is that now I love surfing single fins. And from basically 18 till now, I'm still trying to figure out what I love. But Thomas Bexton from Noosa, I had the pleasure of meeting him in Noosa two years ago. And I was surfing a bunch with um, Harrison Roach, who's, I don't know if you've seen him surf oh, yeah. before, but if you haven't, you should just, I don't know, YouTube him or look at him up on Instagram because he has one of the most like smooth approaches to surfing period. Like he is so smooth and his, it's, he, he's very technically smooth and it, he's incredible to watch and incredible to just like learn from. So I was surfing with him and Nusa a bunch and obviously seeing him surf, I'm like, okay, what are you writing? Like, I want to know what you're writing. And he's like, oh, I'm, you know, Thomas Bex and Sixth my Boards, whatever. And um, Devin Howard actually introduced me to Thomas and was like, Devin had told me, you need to try one of his boards. I'm like, okay, I'd like love to. He's when I, He goes, I never thought I could ever get better at surfing. And when I was 40, I wrote his board for the first time. And I feel like I've gotten better since from just simply writing his boards and so if Devin's saying that, I'm going to obviously trust his word. And Well, it's weird because Devin's only 35 because he doesn't look 40 at all. I know. Devin is a, And he's so, so good. Oh, my gosh. So I, um, since then, Thomas has shaped me a few boards, and I would say they're the best long boards. And they allow he, – he didn't take away – what I loved about my two plus ones. So I feel like I found this happy medium of this board that I can really like maneuver, but also like plant a really like happy hang 10 on. And his board, his boards are amazing. They're just, I mean, I wish I could do better at explaining why I love them, but I do love them. And I think it's just because it's like a very well-rounded classic shape. I mean, classic, whatever that means to anyone, but that's how I would look at him. They're all of his boards shape me are single fins and they're not overly heavy. The tails aren't huge. They're just like, they're just perfect. I actually I think that them. that openness to experimentation, which sounds like there's a lot more on the longboarding side of the coin than the shortboarding side mm -hmm. of the coin. But even when you talk about shortboarders who do it, it feels like it rounds out their surfing so much more, you know, when they're experimenting yeah. with fish shapes or mid lengths or anything else. And, you know, I think that's one of the things that it, it's nice. Um, talking to you about and learning about the experimentation, even watching you surf um, on your backhand, right? Because 
I was joking with Devin the other day who put out um really beautiful film in um what was it all um assorted rides. And I said, man, this is great. Um, I did not see one backhand wave at all. I have a mid-length. I'm not sure if I'm supposed to be going on my backhand at all. Um, I was single fin too, but <laughs> he's like, yeah. <laughs> so we got to release the second version. I'll start going left. But it's just beautiful to kind of watch you out at Noosa on your backhand and, and surf these kinds of boards. Yeah, I, I grew up surfing Queens, which is a right. So I really like I really like surfing my backhand and, and riding right point breaks and I mean, obviously I love going left, but I really, really like going backside. And these boards just allow me to, um, maybe maybe because I am goofy and I'm going backhand, it looks a little diff. If you see me on a right, it looks different than what like the approach that Harrison would take because he is on his forehand. But these boards work like magic. I want to get to a couple more topics, but before we do, um, we're going to take another quick break to get a word in from our sponsors. I want to talk about you being a Roxy brand ambassador. Now, in my research for this episode, I don't know why the first thing that comes up for you is your German page Wikipedia, but I had to translate it to English to understand it. It's probably my problem. Oh, my gosh. It's so funny. Yeah. Um, it's probably just my problem. I've never seen it. It's great. I'll send it to you after the conversation. It does say in your German Wikipedia page when translated to English that you signed with Roxy as a shortboarder at age 13 and that that didn't last long. And then you re-signed with Roxy as a longboarder at 16. So number one, is that true? And number two, if so, explain what went down. I mean, that's like really on. I wouldn't say that I like re-signed as like a different like person, <laughs> longboarder versus over, but I did, I did grow up shortboarding. And I, but no, that's actually, that's actually kind of false because I got picked up by Roxy at a longboard contest mm. in San Diego. So that's actually false. Well, this is good. So, but so I shortboarded too. So this podcast will set the record straight for the German Wikipedia <laughs> entry on Korean legends. But what, so when you got picked up as a longboarder, um, Mm -hmm. Did you get picked up as sort of a competitive longboarder? Were you also a brand ambassador? Did you become one? Explain what the difference is. I don't really know what my title was at the time. I can't remember. But I do remember being really excited. I was very contest driven at the time. Like I shortboarded. I did the NSSAs. And I definitely thought I was going to be a professional shortboarder when I, when I was 13. Like that's definitely like where my head was at. But then when I was 16 was kind of the, around the time where I had that conversation with my dad where I'm like, I don't want to do the Q. I don't want to do this. Like that, like the QS isn't for me. Like I just want to board. Mm. And the reason I was able to make that decision is because <clears throat> Roxy was so supportive, not why, but I think they capitalized on that decision that I made. And I, I honestly, it was never a big conversation with them that I was like, Oh, I'm not going to do this. It was just what I decided. And I think not until I started shooting campaign, which I was before I was 18, because I was still traveling with my mom, I would shoot their like lifestyle campaigns. And before it was a lot more like, like surf trip focus, like just like really raw surfing campaign shoots, mm -hmm. which is what I kind of started as I started as this ambassadorship, like modeling, not, I'm not a model. Let's make set the record show. <laughs> But going on these trips with the girls, surfing, Mexico, Tahiti, like all these places, bikinis, you know, the whole Roxy thing. Once I turned 18, I think uh, they just saw the fact that I'm 
Hawaiian longboarder, which kind of fits that whole Roxy. I don't know. There's like Roxy always has a long, like, you know, Cassie was a longboarder and I kind of came right at the tail end of Cassie's time and fit that mold, I guess, for, for their brand. And I was super proud of it. Like I was kind of my dream. Like I wanted to, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a Roxy girl. And since then, that's kind of what I, that's kind of what I've done since I was 18. And you've really kind of cleaved the pathway for a new type of brand ambassador in a lot of ways, because you kind of grew up at a time when Mm -hmm. they were really siloed, you know, especially in women's surfing, there'd be people that were strictly competitive. And then there'd be other people that were strictly models and, and not that you're not a model, let the record reflect that, but as an ambassador, you're able to do yeah. both, you know, which I think is actually mm-hmm. encouraged most of the industry to say, hey, no, substance matters here. You have to have people that can achieve things and that if you're promoting surf um, gear or a surfing brand, they, they need to surf. Yeah. And I think, too, like allowing like there to be a like Roxy is, is so good at storytelling. So whether it's like a surf story or a family story or. Um, a heritage story or friendship story, which all four things I feel like I had, I had naturally been able to like integrate into this. Like I grew with, the, I, I grew up and I grew up in a time where, you know, social media became such a huge, like when I, when we first started, like there was no Instagram. So all these things kind of grew with me and with the brand. So we all, we kind of like learned this thing together. And I think with the friendships of, you know, myself, Monica and Bruna, who us three had kind of just all aged at the same time, traveled together and did this whole Roxy life, Roxy girl ambassadorship, um, storytelling thing with, um, I think, I think just, it, it was, it was just like kind of a, like really like lucky timing from, the friendships to allow a really cool story to be told on throughout through a brand like Roxy. It was kind of just like a really lucky timing for all of us. Well, and it also seems like that that opportunity has afforded you the other opportunities of like living in different spaces. I think you've lived, you mentioned you live yeah. in New York. Like what has that been like uh, just being exposed to different kinds of ways of living for, for a young woman from Honolulu? So when I moved, I moved to LA um, with actually Bruna when I was, when I just turned, I just turned 18 and Bruna lived in Brazil at the time, super small town. We were traveling a bunch and our team manager, Karen Moran, when, during that time, um, she lived in Manhattan beach. And anytime we'd go on a campaign shoot, we would basically like meet at her house in Manhattan, like stay the night there and then fly to wherever destination we'd go to. And I, I was always kind of like a bit of like a go-getter, like, like, let's just do this. So I like basically convinced Bruna to move from Brazil to LA. And just, I was like, let's just get our own apartment since we're like meeting here anyways. Why not like just have our own place, have all of our boards, like leave all our shit there and then travel. So I somehow convinced her and... I think, I mean, for both of us, she now is married to a local Manhattan boy. So you're welcome, Dane. <laughs> I, I think it was just like, it was one lucky timing and uh, it allowed me to like grow. Like I hated, when I moved there, I hated, I started to hate surfing a little bit because 
surfing at Manhattan Beach wasn't that fun for me. It's a hard hang. Being in a wetsuit, mm. I never liked. So it was fun. It, it allowed me to like, it, it allowed me to grow really because uh, I had to really work through those growing pains and uh, figure out what I wanted to be. You know, you move to LA from Hawaii, you think you're like going to like have this big like vision one day of like who you're going to be as a person. And like, I'm here back in Hawaii in a small little house with my dog and my husband, and I never want to live anywhere else. <laughs> um, so it really like brought me back, I think, to my roots. But I lived in LA. I did the LA thing for five years. So fun. Best time of my life. Met my husband, moved to New York for two years. Also amazing experience. Love New York City. Super thankful for that. Have my other side, my in-laws live there. Like we visit all the time. But I love Hawaii. And I think the moral of the story is being able to have the opportunity to experiment, dabble, figure out what you don't like, figure out what you do love. And then now I'm here and I'm so happy and I love Hawaii. (laughs) Well, and it seems like, you know, like you've gone through this experience of like, you're very, very centered with a, a strong family unit. You've been able to actually take that, it seems like as an observer, to different places, whether it's Los Angeles, whether it's New York, and you, you're able to succeed in, in really sort of the highest levels of, of, you know, social circles in a lot of ways. Right. But at the same time, you're still able to, you know, go to Australia or go to Indonesia or come back to Hawaii and, and be the same person. So it's, it's, it's very cool to see. And it's honestly, at the end of the day, it's made me so thankful for surfing, Mm -hmm. like, like period, because when I say I hated surfing, like I was like, I'm quitting. Like, this is so shot. Like, I do not like this. I was young. I was like, I was working a lot at a young age. Like, I was actually working. It was like, when I think about it now, I was like, oh my gosh, I was actually doing a lot for how young I was. And like, thinking that I knew what I was doing when I really kind of didn't. I was just trying to figure it out. Um, But now, like, harnessing the appreciation of everything that surfing is and my family and the ocean and all those things that sound super hippie and like weird. I just really appreciate it now so much more. And I want to make sure that I tell the story of surfing and I don't let someone else who isn't me tell the story of surfing. Well, I think that's- I want to make sure that I, I want to make sure that I maximize on this beautiful life that has been passed down to me generationally through my dad that I was naturally born into and I pretty much know everything about and it's not something that I saw and had to learn. It was just a part of my life since I was born. And I want to make sure that I share the story, share surfing and make sure I do my part because I feel like that's what my job is now. I think you're already doing more than that already. So I look forward (laughs) to seeing what you do in the future. We did put it out to our Instagram community, see if anyone had any questions for you. And we've done this for a few weeks now. And this one, um, I don't know, set new records. We've got like hundreds of of questions. Really? But we picked five. We picked five for you. Okay, good. First question is, how many boards do you own? I only know this because we just moved. So I actually counted my boards and I wanted to see if my truck could handle all my boards. I didn't fit all my boards in the back of my truck, but I have... 32 boards. That's pretty reasonable for a professional service. It is, but they're long boards. Mm-hmm. I don't, I'm not like a board hoarder either. Like 
all my boards are pretty much like I'm either riding them or like I'm never going to get. Well, I guess when I say hoarder, I, I guess I am a little bit of a hoarder, but there's some boards that I just have this like sentimental value that I'll never get rid of them. It's like that scene in North Shore with like Rick Kane and Chandler where he's like, here's all the boards you have to go through to get back to the shoreboard. One day I'll have that set up for my kid. No I'm kidding. My next door neighbor is Gregory <laughs> Harrison who played Chandler. He lives right behind me. Stop. Hmm, that's the best. Every, that's, every time I'm out the amazing. back sweeping, I think of him telling Turtle to sweep and I'm like, yeah, this is good. This is so good. That's excellent. <laughs> All right. Second question. Do you suggest buying a quote unquote fixer upper house like you did or buy new? I didn't know this. So someone knows more about you than, uh, than I do for sure. <laughs> oh my gosh. That is a tricky question for me because <laughs> I'm still not done renovating my house. <laughs> That's right. Things you think that they're going to take this long and they don't, they take a lot longer. So, I mean, I think it just matter. It just depends like how much you love you want to put into anything really my husband did a shit ton of work mm. luckily we went through a pandemic crisis so we couldn't leave so he ended up doing a lot of the work himself with the help of like my family and um youtube sure if you want to do the heavy lifting get a fixer upper if you don't if i was single i would have not done this <laughs> i would have bought a house that i could move into but now that i have a husband he did most of the work i'm happy because we have a bigger property we have space to build and make a pool and do all the things like down the line that I really want to do for a family. But Oh, it never ends. You'll of, be fixing that forever because um, it, cause you'll fix like seven things up and you'll be like, these three things don't match with the seven things. Now I got to do that. I know it's so much work, but you know what? It's worth it. Now that I'm like, I look at things that we did. I'm so proud. Oh yeah. 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 That's the best. Feeling. I'm so proud. Question three. How do you stay motivated? I think you have to, kind of get a little hungry. So if you're not hungry, you're kind of not going to get motivated. I don't know. You have, and if, and you got to dig deep sometimes. Sometimes it's not just like, oh, I'm so motivated. Like you're not going to wake up every day and be motivated to do something. You kind of have to like go out and do something that you don't want to do. And I think that kind of finds this little internal motivation to make you do more. Like yesterday, I did not want to surf. Well, no, yesterday I wanted to surf, but I wanted to drive to the beach and do the easy thing. Instead, I walked to the beach. And on my walk, I got so inspired by how beautiful the day was. So when I went surfing, my surf was better. So I think that little like walk motivated me. So it doesn't take like, you don't have to be like an ogre about motivation. It can just be the little things that you can take out of your day to motivate you to do something better the next. What about, did you see the the Michael Jordan documentary of the last dance? You know what? I didn't see it, but I've heard so much or watch the Michael Jordan documentary. Cause I heard it's just the craziest documentary ever. And I need to watch it. Yeah. Yeah. You'll like it. But he's the same thing on motivation. He just starts making things. Oh, up really? where he's like, yeah, this person didn't wave at me in the restaurant. So I'm going to go out and score 70 points on that. He's <laughs> just totally manufacturing things in his head to stay motivated. Whatever works. Or listen to Michael Jordan. <laughs> Question four. Okay, so this this person says, as a mom of two littles, am I too late to get back into surfing professionally? I don't think there's ever any such thing as late, but I do think that there is a, I do think that you have to make sure that the time is right for you and your family. And I'm not a mom yet, so I can't say what that looks like or what your situation, what the situation of having two kids looks like, but just make sure it's right for you and your little babies. And surfing's a very grindy sport that isn't necessarily always financially um, 
stable or easy to just eat up travel bills. So make sure that you're ready for all that. <laughs> Makes sense. All right, last question from the Instagram community. Um, well, I guess this person packed two in there. What is your favorite post-surf snack and what are your favorite Hawaiian log waves? Um, I, I love eating. So that question is going to vary dependent on the day. Now that I'm pregnant, I'm eating all day long. I love acai bowls, but I do love like Hawaiian food, like Hawaiian Kahlua pig, Momi salmon poi. So it just varies depending on the day. I I don't know. I wouldn't necessarily call any of our waves logging waves. I mean, like Waikiki uh, um, canoes, the left at canoes in Waikiki is kind of a fun logging wave. Um, I don't really know what logging wave sometimes means to certain people. It means something different. To me, bowls is an insane logging wave. It's like pretty much perfect logging wave, actually, because some people think one thing, my pet peeve real quick. Go for it. Is when someone, for everyone to know, because people do this to me all, or people do this, I promise you, is when someone looks away and goes, oh, it's perfect for longboarding. My brothers do it to me all the time. (laughs) And like, I actually don't call, I actually don't call people out enough on it. I should, just because I think it's kind of funny. Like, I'm I'm just joking kind of when I say this, but it's like, what, just because it's like a half a foot in slush means that I should be excited to, I don't want to surf that. You don't want to surf it. Why should I want to, just because I have a long board doesn't mean that I want to surf some shitty fat wave. <laughs> so logging, a logging wave can mean something much different to one person than to another. For me, I want to ride a solid wave. Of course. Always. Makes total sense. So thanks to the Instagram community for those uh, five of the hundreds that we got. Now, before we go, we have our final segment, which is the lightning round. These are 10 questions. You answer as quickly as you can. Okay. First question. If you could only have one board set up for the rest of your life, single fin, twin fin, thruster, quad bonzer, or finless, what would you take? I would take a single fin. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Burrito or pizza? Oh my gosh, right now, burrito. But probably if I wasn't pregnant, pizza. Last book you read? Oh, God. That's not a question you asked me. I, Well, actually, I'm in the middle of reading a pregnancy book, if that counts. That counts. So that's what I'm reading. Best surf film ever? Something that my brothers were in. <laughs> I don't know what they're called. <laughs> One wave you never have to go back to? Oh. I don't want to be rude. And this is going to run afoul of your ambassadorship, for sure. I know. I'm trying to... High not in China. So. <laughs> so much success there. You just say that because oh, yeah. you succeeded. You like did that already. I did it, done it. I don't want to go back there. Continue. If you only get to surf one wave for the rest of your life. Bulls. Best person to share the lineup with. Ooh. Gotta be one of my nieces or nephews right now, but I'm sure it's gonna be my child once I have in four months you can ask me that question again. <laughs> Worst person to share the lineup with. Oh, there is someone I have in my head and I can't think of it. Oh yeah, no, I can't, I can't say this publicly. So, <laughs> well, I'm glad you have someone. Sorry. Last question. I do have someone. Finish this sentence. I will next achieve a state of happiness by. Um, 
definitely going in the water because I had to turn my AC off while we did this interview and it's summertime in Hawaii and my house has no insulation. So I'm going in the ocean right when we're done. <laughs> Kalia Moniz, thank you so much for the sacrifice of temperature for coming on the lineup. Congratulations on your forthcoming family. Um, and thank you for everything you do in surfing. Thank you so much, Dave. Have a good one. So that's it. That's the lineup presented by Michelob Ultra Pure Gold's conversation with Kalia Moniz. I hope you enjoyed it. A huge thank you to Kalia for her time and an additional congrats on her soon-to-be-growing family. This episode is produced by Ryan Fawcett with artwork designed by Jason Penning. Thanks to both of them and thanks to our sponsors, Michelob Ultra Pure Gold and BF Goodrich. We really appreciate their support. And thanks to our listeners. Please send us any and all feedback. It really makes us sharper. In addition to the challenges that have confronted us in 2020 from the global economic uncertainties to long overdue focus on racial injustice, COVID-19 continues to plague countries everywhere. The CDC's identified symptoms for COVID-19 include runny nose, sore throat, fever, cough, and shortness of breath. If you're not feeling well, call your doctor. And the World Health Organization's behavioral recommendations that everyone should follow. Wash your hands, avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. If you have to cough or sneeze, do so into your elbow. Social distancing, avoid groups of 10 or more people and stay away from everyone as much as you can. If you're not feeling well, get checked out as soon as possible and if you can work from home, do it. And a massive thank you to the essential workers out there from hospital staff to grocery workers, delivery drivers, firemen, and everyone out there working through the pandemic to keep people safe. I hope you safely get some waves wherever you are and we'll see you next week.